Hello and welcome to Parently, where we tap into the unique experiences and perspectives of parents to celebrate the joys and honor the challenges of child rearing. With new interviews each week, this is a podcast for moms and dads seeking an empowering community and a little levity. Now here's your host, Kelsey Higgins. Hello and welcome to Parently. Today's episode is very interesting. There's a lot of moving parts and a complex story uh, with our guest today. So we'll just dive right in. Lauren Gerald. Hello. Thank you so much for having me today. I am so excited. You have a lot of interesting experiences to share, and I think the listeners will be uh, excited to hear kind of a, a different journey to parenthood. Yeah, for sure. It's been been a unique one. Square one. Yeah. Tell me about yourself, your history a little bit. Where'd you grow up? Um, I grew up in a small town in southeastern Minnesota. Um, it's called Dodge Center. Um, okay. Close to Rochester area. What was your family like? Um, I don't know, pretty normal. Um, parents... <laughs> I don't know what's normal. Um, my parents. You're not scarred. Yeah. Well, let's. We'll, we'll. No. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> <laughs> um, hi, mom. Hi, dad. Um, no, my parents like met when they were, I think, nine, and then got married when they were 19, and wow. then had all their kids by 26. Like, and, and there, I have two siblings, and I'm the middle child. So yeah, like completely you know young parents but are still together they are in love and like is yeah they're great people so you had a really nice example of a of building a little family yeah and just like overcoming you know some adversity and struggles in their marriage but you know an example of persevering and you know getting through the hard stuff did you imagine your family your journey to creating your family would probably look similar kind of yeah I guess I just assumed yeah I'd have a baby when I wanted to have a baby and that would be that it's not exactly how it happened is it nope nope not at all (laughs) no did you always want children yeah I think so yeah I mean I was a nanny for 11 years before I had my children um and so like yeah I've always just had a a love of children um, and, and I think, you know, it was further solidified when I met my husband, I was like, I don't just want kids. I want that guy's kids, you know? And Aww, yeah. yeah, he's just yeah. such a good person. Where'd you two meet? Oh, the good old internet match.com. Oh, awesome. Oh my gosh. You're like an OG matches. I know. Yeah. yeah. We met, uh, January 27th, 2009. So almost 12 years. That's awesome. So when did you and I'm sorry, what's your husband's name? Jesse. When did you and Jesse decide to start having babies? Yeah. So I mean, it was like soon after we got married. Like, I think Jesse kind of wanted to wait a little bit longer, but I'm like, let's just try and see. And so, yeah, we got married in August of 2011. Um, And then, you know, like throughout the year kind of tried, but tried not to obsess, but then started to obsess. And then... Oddly enough, it was on our one-year anniversary that we finally went in to the um, reproductive endocrinologist, okay. who then was able to diagnose us with some issues, um, 
and and kind of gave some reasons as to why we couldn't conceive. I can imagine that was probably a big blow. Yeah, yeah, for sure. How how did you how did you two kind of manage that and and I guess yeah. emotionally and all of those pieces. For sure. Yeah. Um, you know, I think going into it, um, both uh, to be completely transparent, the diagnosis was at the time my husband had lower counts. And so there was, um, some issues there. And so I think a big piece was like making sure that we both identified this as not his problem or my problem, but our problem together oh, and that sure. we were going to get through this and it was going to be fine, you know, and, and, you know, mm-hmm. we'll do a couple treatments of this or that. And, and, you know, within a year or two we'll, or a year, I wanted to say I'd be pregnant, you know, and have a baby. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I have a lot of feelings. My husband, he didn't really, and I, you know, didn't exhibit a lot of shame. He didn't feel like bad, which I think that's just the way he is. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe ter- internalized it a little bit more, but like, by and large, you know, he rolled with it and was very much like, didn't like think, Oh, this is means I'm not a real man, blah, blah, blah. You know? Right. Um, right. But it was just yeah. like, Hey, this is a biological thing. It sucks. Let's figure it out. So what, what did they recommend for next steps? Yeah. So we had insurance coverage for some IUIs, which is inner uterine insemination where they would now that's kind of uncommon isn't it that insurance will cover that yeah actually yeah now those those particular procedures or or ways of uh, attempting pregnancy have a a smaller chance of working but some insurance will cover it and so we were very fortunate and I remember sitting with our doctor and she's like yeah let's we'll try a couple of them you know I bet I bet they'll work It, it was just more about getting my husband's sperm closer to my fertilizer or closer to my egg that I ovulated. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, she was like pretty confident that like, Oh, it'll work. And then it didn't. And we did like five of them, I think within like a very short window of time. Um, And yeah, it was very disheartening. It's taxing on my body to like go through all those different cycles of trying. Mm -hmm. So is that when you, you, you mm-hmm. as the woman go into the doctor and they um, basically, like you said, they just try to get your husband's sperm mm-hmm. closer. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So do you have, do you go under for that? No, or are you no it's, it's just okay. basically like similar to, you know, legs in the stirrups um, and, and mm-hmm. the speculum. And then they like have this little catheter that they inject. They kind of like wash what well, they do. It's called like washing the sperm. So like they just have the good ones and then they get yep. that in through the cath that are in through the cervix, I believe. I hope I'm, yeah. And then let, you know, the rest of my body and his sperm do do its what it's supposed to do. And it didn't do what it was supposed to do and never worked. Oh, that's like so disheartening because every time you did it, you probably were just so hopeful yeah. and waiting and, oh. Yeah, it, it is. It's, it sucked. Um, you know, and you know how a woman's body works. You're only, you know, allowed one option, one time, you know, per what, 28 ish days to get pregnant. And then it's starting all back over again. And, um, you know, mm-hmm. we were doing them very close together. So it was like month after month, you know, and, um, just a lot, a lot on my body and emotions and yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm what did they recommend next or what were the, what was the next conversation? Yeah. So then we were looking 
into, at that point she said, okay, here, I think IVF is what you need to do. Um, and it will be, okay. um, you know, again, she's just felt so optimistic that yeah, one round you'll do it and you'll be fine. And we were at this point wanting to buy a house. And so we didn't want like all the money to go towards something that yes, had like a 50, 50 chance of working, but it was like, what mm-hmm. if we do this and like end up with no embryos, which is what you, you create when you do IVF, they retrieve mm-hmm. my, would retrieve my eggs take Jesse's sperm, um, put them in, you know, the Petri dish thing. And my biggest fear was that we would do that and spend that like 20 grand or so to do all that. And we'd have like nothing to show for it. No embryos like at the end. And that like would have been, you know, devastating because we weren't in a financial position to really even afford one round, but to like find a way to scrape up the money to pay for one round and then still have nothing to show for it. would have been like heartbreaking right um that's it's it's insane how how expensive yeah and and at that point you know like we were fortunate to have some coverage prior to IVF but once once it came to the big guns they were like nope we don't cover that and so it would have been all out of pocket obviously financial um component of Mm -hmm. it makes a huge impact on the decision making yeah exactly um yeah. And so by that point, um, we did take a small break. We bought our house, like enjoyed our life that way, you know, obviously still trying the good old fashioned way. Um, mm-hmm. but we, gosh, not quite a year after we like officially stopped treatments. Um, I was, I'm, I was always looking into like, what is the next step and what, what should we do next? And what's the most affordable way to make this happen? Um, you know, like it sucks when you're like, want to be a parent, but you can't afford all the like really super expensive stuff to do. So mm-hmm. yeah, like, like looking back, I'm like, what's the cheapest way I could become a mom? You know, like, <laughs> I don't know. Like I, I, I like a good deal, I guess. I don't know. Um, no, <laughs> bargain hunter. <laughs> That's terrible. Yeah. Bargain. Oh man. Um, so I learned about this um, way. It's called donor embryos um, or embryo donation. Some people refer to it as, embryo adoption I I tend to like to use the term donation just because my own certain beliefs that it's it's a donation that you're not adopting human tissue it's Mm. you know adoption I feel like is something that should be saved for when you adopt an infant right um Mm, and these these embryos are have the great potential to become lives but they're not you know yet until medical intervention is able to does that make sense (laughs) yeah yep it's it, and it probably is totally dependent on your personal beliefs. right like, exactly um and I presented it to my husband and he um, was like no no I don't know you know he was a little bit more attached to the idea of having a, a bio or a genetic connection to his children um mm. which is very normal I think everybody you know like when you get to that point in your family building journey where you're looking at using, you know, donor gametes, um, like donor sperm, donor egg, or the combination of the both, which is an embryo, Um, you know, there's a huge piece that you have to mourn. And um, for me, for whatever reason, it wasn't difficult for me to like mourn that genetic loss connection. Oh, interesting. And and again, I totally honor others that, that do 
truly mourn that and it's hard for them but for whatever reason I had my eye on the prize which was just I wanted to be a mom and it didn't matter sure. in which way that came to us um I just knew that there was a, a baby out there for us one of the hardest things when you're going through infertility if um, a therapist told me this once is that a couple is never going to arrive to the same thing at the same time. Usually someone's going to be a little bit ahead. So for me, I was like gung ho on these donor embryos. Right. Mm, sure. um, and I had to sit there and wait for my husband to arrive to where I was. Um, mm. And sometimes they don't. And then there's, you know, like big decisions to make. Um, right. But Jesse did catch up where I was. I was not patient. I, I'm sure I was like super like, what are you thinking? What do you think? You know, like every, every 30 seconds, you know, and right. no, he, and he did, he finally came around and, and was at peace with everything. And yeah, we, we pursued donor embryos and um, there's two kind of ways you can go about doing it. Two common ways. Um, you can either have like a known donor. So like somebody had created embryos and did okay. IVF on their own mm -hmm. um, uh, and um, had remaining embryos left over and they choose a family or, a, or an individual to donate them to, mm, okay. or you can go anonymous where like, again, uh, um, somebody created embryos, had an abundance left over, and they just donated them anonymously to like a clinic. And then the clinic is kind of that in between where you receive the embryos um, and use them. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so our first, um, it was really interesting, but, um, and crazy we were a family and I connected like and and almost immediately and they offered us their embryos um like within like five days. It was just really wow. crazy. Yeah. After like things taking so long, I think at this point we were about four ish years in. Mm -hmm. Um and yeah, it was like, whoa. You know, and I remember it was like around Thanksgiving and you just like, oh my God, I'm so thankful. And um yep. yeah, and it was great and so yeah we we decided to go through with it um there was some legal parts that you have to go through and then um yeah we we ended up you know having the money to to do it and um ended up doing a transfer um an embryo transfer is what it's called where they take the embryo and transfer it into my uterus similar way that I was explaining with IUI where there's you know, like they, they bring it in through the um, cervix and I think, mm. yeah. And then mm -hmm. yeah, it, implanted or, or attempt to, um, yeah. we had actual success the first time around and it was pretty great and great and amazing. We saw a heartbeat and then, um, we didn't, and I actually had a, my first ever miscarriage. So it was crazy to like be in this joyful place of like finally being pregnant and then not. Um, and then we attempted two more times um with the, the so there were a total of three embryos and we did three transfers and those didn't work they were like ended in very early chemical pregnancies oh how yeah it was pretty crappy <laughs> so oh gosh yeah and then i suppose that other the the um donor couple probably i mean at this point are they still involved like yeah 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 we stayed in touch our goal was to you know remain in touch with them and, and form a relationship that you know so it, when when or if a child resulted from these embryos they could know their genetic family that was you know i thought 
we both thought was important. Yeah. I mean, and I know she felt, and and I say she, it was a husband and a wife, obviously, but Mm -hmm. it was more, her name is Lydia. Um, Her and I kept in touch more. It wasn't like the four of us always. Yeah. I think, you know, I think she went through some guilt and, you know, sadness for us because she felt like, you know, she gave us bad embryos and I did my best. And I, I hope I always assured her that, you know, this is, it's just weird when I'm going through my own grief and she's going through her own grief, you know, it's, yeah, it's yeah. different, but um, didn't work. And that's, oh. I think one of the big misconceptions with anything to do with like IVF or any sort of like using assisted reproductive technologies, they call it ART, for example, um, is that it does, you know, like everyone thinks, oh, you do IVF and it works. But you don't. It doesn't always work, you know? And there are, yeah. And so at that point, we fell into that category of doing three different rounds, three different embryo transfers, and not having success. We'll be back after a short break. Today's episode is sponsored by Strip. After several months of maternity leave, I am back to work which means I'm also back to wearing makeup. While I do enjoy wearing makeup, I have never enjoyed the process of removing it at the end of the day. Until now, I've been using a new product I love called Strip. It does more than just remove your makeup, though it does do that well. It is skincare that truly nourishes your face with nutrients and vitamins, leaving behind noticeably healthier looking skin. It's made up of clean ingredients and it doesn't have a zillion steps that frankly, I just don't have time for. I've even shared it with family and friends and we all agree it leaves your skin feeling so soft and looking replenished. My favorite product is the Caviar Jelly Remover. It removes my makeup while hydrating with these fun bursting nutrient bubbles. Support your favorite podcast with an awesome product. Check out Strip and use my discount by visiting stripyourmakeup.com forward slash parently. Strip your makeup, not your skin. Now back to Parently with your host, Kelsey Higgins. And so at this point, is the, the doctor, the team that you're working with, telling you anything besides like wow that's just unlucky or is there is there a medical thing that they can point to or not really everything always checked out fine the quality of the embryos were good when they you know when they graded them prior to transfer and and you hit it right there with that's basically what they said you just you weren't lucky you know and I should say the first embryo that we transferred and I did get pregnant and stayed pregnant they tested it and were able to determine that it did have um, some, like, I think it's a a trisomy. I can't remember which number it was. That's not Mm. compatible with life. Um, you know, so that was the cause of that miscarriage. Um, Mm. but yeah, it was basically just bad luck. We actually, um, ended up trying more IUIs because we were like, well, insurance covers them. Let's give it a shot. Um, and oddly enough, one actually worked. And so I think it was our second one we tried, and um, it worked, which was good. And then it didn't work again. And I had another miscarriage. And it was, oh, yeah, it was actually on the same exact day, two years apart. It's weird as like the same day as my other one, my first one. 
um, like it was November 18th, 2015, and then 2016, the following year. I mean, year. at this point, can you even get excited anymore? You know, you're definitely a lot more guarded when it goes and, you know, as you try. And But I remember, like, the joy I felt didn't feel any different between it being, at the time, our first, like, pregnancy was a donor embryo. And then, you know, we got pregnant with our genetic biological child, which it didn't feel any different, but there was this like weird, like, oh my gosh, it finally actually worked for us to be pregnant with our own genetic child. Like maybe that's, you know, like maybe made me feel like that's why we had to have all those failures to only circle back around and have success. I needed a reason why. So then when that pregnancy ended a few weeks later, it was just like, well, crap, you know, <laughs> like, maybe. Um, yeah. um, anyway, so we were probably like, I would say probably at the lowest of our journey at that point. I got a call shortly after within about four weeks, our clinic that we had done our embryo transfers at, um, it was, it was actually down in Iowa. Um, the clinic said, Hey, we have some donor embryos this time. They're anonymously donated, but you know, you're next on the list. I forgot that I'd even put our names on the list for like after our last treatment with the. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, Oh yeah. And so, so I talked to Jesse and we both were like, okay, let's try it. I don't know why going into it. I'm like, why did we try more donor embryos when we had had those failed three, you know, and um, I don't know, just sometimes you just know, there's just, we need to do this. Mm. And so we did. And so like I said, these ones were anonymously donated from um, someone that had done IVF and chose to donate them anonymously. And Mm -hmm. so we went through all the same, you know, stuff we went through prepping my body for the embryo transfer um, and transferred an embryo. The first one worked. And it continued to work. And I stayed pregnant with our daughter, um, Lottie, is her name. Yeah. Yeah. Her full name's Charlotte Louisa, but we, we call her Lottie Lou. Lottie Lou, I cute. Isn't that great? Yeah, she's incredible. Like every possible dream of being a mother was like realized at that point. Like you're never, like, and so I never want to say for people that go through miscarriages and loss, like, you still wonder why you had to go through all of that, but it makes a little bit more sense as to why you had to experience what you did when Mm. you're holding that child. Um, Again, I I don't want to, I never want to say, well, that's, that, that's why you had to lose this one. So you could have this one. And when a lot of parents are like, well, I, I, can I say I wanted both, you know, like, yeah, I don't know if I'm making sense with that. Um, No, you are, you just, you, you felt like, everything had fallen into place Mm -hmm. when you were at the end when you were sitting there with your daughter yeah and so yeah it was um we were on this like euphoric cloud nine my husband had some time off the kid um parental leave paid which was super cool so we were like home and she was born in October and so it was like leading into the holidays like over that time I'd had a miscarriage that year before and the year prior to that and it was just this interesting like totally different life experience like opposite right so you were home with this little baby and um yeah and then you know I think it was kind of towards the first of the year 
where I started feeling a little like not normal. I was feeling not like depressed, but like postpartum anxiety type stuff and Mm -hmm. like feeling, um, I kept telling myself that like, I was never supposed to be a mom. I tricked the universe into like some, I forced it to happen and I don't deserve this sweet, precious, innocent baby. You know, I'm not the mom I I thought I was going to be, which I think a lot of um, parents and, you know, like they think they have all these ideas as to how it's going to go. And, and there are these like wildly high expectations and it's Mm -hmm. never (laughs) the way you think it's, you know, very rarely, like, you know, for me, it was like, I'm going to sleep train and I'm going to be good schedule and blah, blah, blah. And here I like have a child that still sleeps in bed with me most nights, you know, (laughs) and she's free. Um, you know, so it was like very different from how uh, that's just one example, but just uh, very different. And I, I was filled with a lot of shame and like feeling of like, again, I don't deserve to be her mom. And, um, yeah. And so it got pretty bad when she was around six months old. I actually, at this point, I was realizing that I was still really dealing with a lot of the grief of everything that led up to her, um, with our losses and the money we spent and the time and the everything, like I did not resent her, but I just resented everything we had to go through to have her. Um, it set us back Mm. financially in certain areas. Like it was, it just is this like common misconception with going through infertility that like, once you're holding that baby, that all that stuff you went through prior just kind of disappears. And that's, that was like a rude awakening for me is that it, no, it still followed me into parenthood and I had to deal with it. I had to work through and, and I know it's kind of a buzzword these days, but it was legit trauma that I experienced and, and went through to have her, Um, and I had to, I had to work through it and it, it it wasn't fun and it wasn't easy. And I, um, I actually, I did a, it was called the mother baby program and it was at a hospital that's local here in Minnesota in the twin cities, um, that really helped me work through a lot of it. Um, it it was called, it's considered a partial hospitalization, uh, day treatment program where I would go Monday through Thursday for, I think it was like six hours a day. So I wasn't like fully in like sleeping there overnight, but I would go Mm -hmm. there Monday through Thursday and I did it for four weeks and I did learn a lot and I was able to like really honor where I was at and find and learn skills to, um, it was DBT based and I apologize. I can never say what the word is. Like it's DBT. It's a form of therapy. Oh, okay. Yeah, And it was very, very helpful. And I, I did learn a lot, but, um, you know, I still struggled, learned that, you know, I need to take meds. And um, I had previously kind of struggled with depression prior to being a mom. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's another thing that people don't realize is that if you just have a baby semi-easily and but you have a history of depression you're like more likely to experience postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety Mm. um and actually Mm. if you go through infertility you're even a little bit more likely to experience it yeah lauren do you think your history of kind of depression and and being aware of that helped you to recognize it in in postpartum or do you i mean how how were you 
able to know like, okay, I think I need some help here. Yeah, I think there was for sure. And and the thing is, is like, I thought I was doing a pretty good job. Like, cause I was on, on just a, a small dose of an antidepressant um, through my pregnancy and, and postpartum that I was like, well, I should be fine. Cause I've got this med that I'm, you know, like I'm ahead of this. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when it started creeping in and hitting, yeah, it was like kind of at this point, like where I started, I was always just angry. I was like angry at my husband and never angry at Lottie. I never felt like physically, like I never wanted to harm my baby, but I just always felt like angry. And so that was kind of like this place where I'm like, okay, this is a new like feeling. And that's when I kind of was like, there's something more at play here. Mm. It's just your run of the mill mm-hmm. depression. And, you know, I think there were um, different things. Like at one point it was when I was weaning from um, nursing um, and pumping. Um, it's a huge, not commonly known, but like your hormones are shifting and changing. And that's like another time where there can be this really big bout of depression and anxiety can like hit you. Um, sure. Your hormones yeah. are kind of like fluctuating and stuff. Mm-hmm. Again, something no one warned me about, you know? So like weird. Being a mom is weird. <laughs> I mean, do you not agree? Like it's like the weirdest and also most humbling <laughs> job ever. I I completely agree that the the range of emotions in just a day yeah. of being a mom is yeah. crazy. And we're so hard on ourselves and we don't honor those hard moments. Like we we just like feel like we're not allowed to have them, you know? Um, mm-hmm. we, mm-hmm. we are, we are. And, um, and so many people do have them, but I, I feel like it's not talked about enough. Do you think that social media plays a role into any of this? Oh yeah. Like I compare, this is, I don't know, maybe you've heard this phrase before. I compare my behind the scenes with someone else's highlight reel. Like their highlight reel is what yep. they post on Facebook and Instagram and all that right. stuff. Um, and I'm like, Oh, my life's not like that. Like, and I, I must be a failure if you know, whatever. Um, another thing I feel like, yeah, I compare myself, like I look at all these moms that are like able to do a full-time job, like able to, you know, balance so much. And I'm like, can barely, I don't know, brush my teeth some days like and you know yeah like, what and I and someone reminded me that we all have different size plates right like some people have bigger plates so therefore they can put more on it and some of us have smaller plates and and we can't put as much on it so we can't compare like the mom who's able to like still run a marathon and breastfeed her baby and go to work full-time and you know work up the corporate ladder you know she just maybe has a bigger yeah, plate and yeah. she put more on it and that's honoring the size of our plates and I I probably just have a smaller plate and you know that's okay that's an interesting analogy I haven't heard that before I kind of like yeah. it yeah well and I think it's once we you know realize that don't compare yourself to someone else I think another another piece of that is all people get get their energy mm-hmm. and their cups filled from different things right and so if, if, if for somebody else, I mean, for somebody working full time might be their, uh, not escape, but right. that's their, their break oh, from being sure. a mom, yeah, for you sure. know? Yeah. Um, I stay home for the most part. I mean, things, I did work a small part-time job 
prior to the pandemic, but it was in retail. So I, I stopped. Um, but yeah, there were, I didn't, for me personally, that was a way for me to, yeah, put my mind into something that was just outside of being a mom. So yeah, I completely get how, whether it's a part-time job or a full-time job that using your brain for something that doesn't revolve around your children is kind of nice. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, depending on who you are, that can be really, really energizing. We'll be back after a short break. Today's episode is sponsored by Strip. After several months of maternity leave, I am back to work, which means I'm also back to wearing makeup. While I do enjoy wearing makeup, I have never enjoyed the process of removing it at the end of the day. Until now, I've been using a new product I love called Strip. It does more than just remove your makeup, though it does do that well. It is skincare that truly nourishes your face with nutrients and vitamins, leaving behind noticeably healthier looking skin. It's made up of clean ingredients and it doesn't have a zillion steps that frankly, I just don't have time for. I've even shared it with family and friends and we all agree it leaves your skin feeling so soft and looking replenished. My favorite product is the Caviar Jelly Remover. It removes my makeup while hydrating with these fun, bursting nutrient bubbles. Support your favorite podcast with an awesome product. Check out Strip and use my discount by visiting stripyourmakeup.com forward slash parently. Strip your makeup, not your skin. Now back to Parent with your host, Kelsey Higgins. Where are you at now in, in your journey yeah. as far as the story goes? Right. So I, I should mention that there's now a second child in the mix. <laughs> we had our, our son. Yay. And he's actually um, also a donor embryo um, and is a genetic sibling to Lottie. So that's really cool for us and important that our children, since they don't share our genes, also are able to share each other's and, and have that genetic connection. That was really important to both. That's kind of cool. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, um, yeah. Uh, and so I, I think, you know, ha- having a chance to do this the second time around and learning to be more gentle with myself has really been a way for me to heal and forgive the, the mom I was while I was with Lottie. It was kind of like this opportunity with Martin, his name is Martin. We call him Mar. Um, oh, I love that. Martin. Um, <laughs> um, you know, to do things a little differently um, because of the things I've learned and the skills I'm able to apply to my parenting. Yeah. Uh, and so I feel like there's been healing um, in that. Um, I mean, I still have my days where I'm just like, feel like the worst mom ever, but I feel like every mom is going to have that right mm-hmm. it's just not to the yeah. point where it's like debilitating and like making me feel like I should disappear and not be their mom you know I, I don't have those feelings anymore mm-hmm. is is being a mom and I think I know the answer to this already but is being a mom <laughs> what you expected in some ways yes like the love and joy I have for these children is like oh my god I just freaking I'm so obsessed with them you know and I love them and I imagine that I imagine this like unbelievable amount of love um but no it's very different in other ways like 
so different. You know, there are some days where, oh, Lottie, I love you, but you're three and you're like really hard and I, I can't be around you right now. Like those are the thoughts in my head. I, I don't say those things to her, but like, <laughs> you know, I just like, I guess I, I do say mama needs her space. <laughs> my kids are very much like touchy yeah. and like want to be like on me I like I I joke that they'd crawl right back up inside me if they could um oh my they're just like so obsessed <laughs> um but yeah so yeah I never the whole t- I'm so touched out you know I'd hear parents say that um but it makes sense <laughs> you know and like some days it's just really hard I never thought I'd kind of like be like angry at my husband a lot like I'm not necessarily like that as much now but like in those early days with Lottie I was just like oh so angry at him (laughs) for just the Mm, smallest dumbest things um Mm -hmm. and yeah if you if you do this whole parenting thing with a partner yeah I didn't expect myself to just not like him as much um do you think that was the biggest obstacle or what what would you define as like the biggest obstacle being a parent yeah, I mean, my our marriage. Yeah, marriage is has been, you know, maintaining the health of your marriage while raising two small children. Um, I think everyone would say a big old amen to this, but like parenting in the midst of a global pandemic, um, oh, <laughs> definitely the curveball I was not expecting. Um, right? <laughs> I'm like, oh, what? Wait. Um, I mean, I think in some ways I'm very fortunate that my kids are small. I'm not doing distance learning and all that, you know stuff dealing with a heartbroken senior that doesn't get to experience you know whatever it's hard right now in this during this time and you know the isolation and whatnot so you went through quite a long journey so I think from start to finish it was six years yeah yeah and by finish I mean start start to Lottie I should yeah and then yeah a total of like eight years did you find any comments or questions from either you know well-meaning loved ones and or strangers offensive during that time and yeah let me repeat that a little bit what what advice would you give to people about what to say and what not to say to somebody struggling with infertility oh one that I absolutely hated was oh you want kids so bad why don't you just take mine and I'm like no I don't want your kids. (laughs) I want my own kids, you know, and yours are kind of stupid anyway. So why would I want? (laughs) (laughs) That's terrible. Your kids are great. Whoever said that to me, but like, I wanted my very own children to screw up, not the ones that someone else had already screwed up, you know? Yeah. Like, I hope that comes up. That was a joke. That's obviously like a comment masked in sarcasm. Right. It probably doesn't feel great. Yeah, yeah, no, and um, oh god, I remember like people like giving me like tips on sex positions. Like, okay, stop. Oh my god, I don't need to know what you did to conceive your eighteen children. Okay, like <laughs> great for you, but um, like no, I don't. One, I don't know you that well, and yeah, those were hard. Um, let everything happens for a reason. Blah blah blah. Um, never yeah. give up hope, and I'm like, screw that. It's okay. Like if anyone is listening to this and going through infertility, it's okay to not have hope. Like it sucks. Let other people around you hope for you. Cause it just puts this like expectation that like you need to keep hoping or it's not going to happen, you know? Right. 
that's kind of wild how how you know people make comments about the process in general mm-hmm. how about now do you ever get comments about I mean I, do your kids look like you do you get comments <laughs> about how they don't look like you do I mean yeah do you get any yeah. strange conversations right. happening well plot twist here um a little bit <laughs> our children are obviously not genetically related to us and they're also a different ethnicity so um they're half Japanese actually um yeah yeah so my husband are like your very white looking people (laughs) like light hair I have blue eyes my husband has like greenish hazel eyes like we're light-skinned people um and then there's my children who are very much um not you know they've got dark hair they're dark eyes my daughter especially has like a really thick dark hair um Mm. And so, yeah, I remember we were at Costco once when Lottie was a baby and I, this lady said, where did, she's not yours. Where, where'd you get her? And I was like, uh, down the oh aisle, take a left down there. There's a whole basket of them. Go, yeah. you know, like, <laughs> go grab one quick. Um, like what? Um, yeah. And so people yeah have said really weird things I've been learning to say like it's no one's business right like I'm open about the journey we went on to have our children but um complete strangers that ask questions don't deserve answers like we don't owe them any explanation as to how our family came to be the way it is um and I never want my children to feel like it's their responsibility to tell others how they came to be right right have you and Jesse talked about w- how those conversations, and I don't know, maybe you're, you're already having those conversations with your kids, but mm-hmm. how, how that's going to look and what you want to share with them. Yeah. Um, complete transparency and being open about, you know, the way that they came to us. Lottie's three. And so she knows like a very, I don't know if you'd say watered down, but like we just try to tell her in age appropriate ways, in age appropriate ways. And that's pretty much, you know, the research shows we're not keeping this a secret. Clearly I'm talking about it on a podcast, yeah. but just, yeah, being very open and honest, honoring how they feel where, you know, they might have some really hard, complicated feelings and resent us for doing what we did and, and, you know, them not having a connection to their genetics short of each other you know like they might have some big feelings about that and and it's our job Mm -hmm. not to make it about ourselves like it's not about us this is about them and no matter what feeling they have about this we're strong enough to sit with them and all those feelings the good the bad the ugly you know and so (laughs) there's some really great books out there that a lot of people have for donor conceived children um I think there's That's one. Great. Yeah, there's one called the the P that was me or something. It's obvious. I don't want to say it's common, but mm-hmm. it's it's talked about, and a lot of parents, a lot of people mm-hmm. are kind of going through this method. It's um, it's interesting to me to think about. I mean, your end on your end, it's just been such a, like a beautiful blessing and a mm-hmm. miracle, and to think about it on the donor side of things I wonder I mean there's a lot of complex emotions attached to that too oh yeah like not not wanting to knowing maybe that you have these healthy viable embryos Mm -hmm. and then trying to decide well 
what do we do with them? Oh my gosh. Yeah. And there are thankfully a lot of people that have shared their own perspective on that. And I, and I currently know a lot of people within my um, community of other people that have gone through infertility, um, you know, that are weighing those big, hard decisions. And I guess, right. yeah. Cause like there are other options, you know, obviously is they can just let the embryos, like they can thaw them and let them kind of just arrest and not be, um, you know, they could donate them to science. Like, I guess I didn't touch on that before. Like donation isn't just the only option or donation yeah. to another, another couple. Um, but yeah, it's, I'm sure they, I can't imagine being in that position. Yeah. It is pretty amazing what, what medicine has mm. allowed options to yeah. be. Phenomenal. Um, Lauren, I really appreciate you taking the time out to, to talk with me. I know it's probably, I, I know you said you've been open from the beginning yeah. and that probably has something to do with your personality, yeah. but I, I know it can still be a bit, uh, you know, vulnerable. And, mm-hmm. um, I just, I, I always think it's so amazing that my guests come on here and are so open and oh, honest because well. the feedback I get is, it's helping, yeah. you know, it helps other people to hear stories. Um, even if it's not exactly the same thing of what right. they're going through, right. you know, we're kind of, we're all in this together and it's, it's helpful when you hear, you know, other, other parents struggles and victories and mm-hmm. all of the above. Yeah. So thank you. Yeah. And, and I guess this, okay. I do have something else to add here. Now, if any of your listeners like are interested and need to talk to someone, whether it be about infertility or donor embryos, or um, postpartum depression, anxiety. Um, It's now all encompassing. They call it, you know, perinatal mood disorders. Um, Mm -hmm. Anything. Like, I am truly, like, if there could be any small bit of goodness that can come out of the pain I've experienced in my journey to be a mom, and then after, um, is the fact that I can, I'm, I'm happy to share my story and connect with others that feel very alone mm. and that I just, oh, my, my, my desire is to make sure no one ever feels alone in whatever feelings they have to those things, you know? Um, oh, that's so gracious. Yeah. So call me. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, 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 I hate talking on the phone. We'll, uh, <laughs> you'll be able to connect with Lauren through, through me if needed. Yeah, there you go. Uh, and I think I'll probably, when I post this we'll get you looped in on it <laughs> okay sounds good so people have your info perfect thank you for that offer yeah that's really nice yeah you've been a great guest Aww. i just i really really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy crazy life yeah and, well thank and you spending it with yeah me. thank you for having me it's been great and to all the listeners thank you for joining and and tuning in please join us again next week for another insightful conversation <laughs>